This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and robust set of tools to develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Find ways to cut costs using the total cost of ownership calculator and compare against AWS's pricing. Visit linode.com saster to learn more. Up today, the State of the Cloud 2020, the COVID Beneficiaries Edition with Byron Dieter and Elliot Robinson of Bessemer Venture Partners. I'm going to dive in here with uh, a little bit of an overview to say that 2020 has been unusual and unprecedented and momentous would all be understatements. But let's just begin by taking a little look back at how we've gotten here. And we wanna take you through the cloud journey over the last several years and we're going to start with some dates that predated COVID and really go to uh, prior Sasters. And so if you look back on February 5th, 2019, which was the Saster annual, uh, hopefully many of you were there in person. Uh, we gave this state of the cloud presentation and talked about the, the power of the industry and the power that's been building in terms of market capitalization of just the public cloud companies and what they show. That was February 5th, 2019. Coincidentally, Saster Annual uh, was slated to be February 5th, 2020 this year, where we were going to reveal that the cloud had passed the 1 trillion market cap mark, which was exactly one year after the Saster Annual 2019. It was a meaningful milestone uh, for many reasons, and yet just a few days later, the world changed pretty dramatically. If you look at uh, the March volatility, the major indices fell 30% pretty much across the board as the health crisis started to take hold and the economic crisis was starting to be previewed. Now, uh, the cloud index fell along with it. The blue line here is the uh, Bessemer NASDAQ Emerging Cloud Index, which is an index that we've tracked for many years, which is the basket of the pure play public cloud stocks. And you'll see here from this blue line, uh, the 30% fall that rapidly rolled through our entire industry. Now, as April came, we started to see those climb back. You fast forward to May, you started to see not only the indices roll back, but specifically this blue line of the cloud industry. And as we rolled to June and July, and then all the way through to August, we saw essentially a separation that is reflected over the longer time arc here as well, if you go back to before 2014, what you see is the power of the cloud. And you see that both organizations embracing this cloud movement, but specifically in COVID, more and more companies turning to the cloud as their uh, solution for business continuity or for business growth in these times when shelter in place is making on-prem solutions difficult and in many cases impossible to use. It's also been a powerful moment for technology to be forced for good. And we've seen many of the cloud community companies help usher in this transformative, um, somewhat defensive posture, but also allowing companies to reinvent themselves and to grow. And you know, to give a few examples, when the entire restaurant and hospitality industry 
was forced to reinvent themselves. Most restaurants shutting down entirely due to shelter in place mandates. Toast, which is a leading point of sale solution and vertical SaaS application and mobile application for the restaurant industry and an all-in-one restaurant uh, platform, rapidly switched and helped offer new solutions for online ordering, contactless delivery, and allowed restaurants that had never before provided takeout and were literally facing bankruptcy shutdown situations to suddenly create an entire new line of business. Another collection of their customers actually turned their kitchens into service offerings. This here is an example from a, um, a Burmese restaurant called Thami in DC, which has partnered with World Central Kitchen, and they're donating thousands and thousands of meals to people in need, healthcare staff, in frontline workers, uh, Black Lives Matter protesters in the community. And so you see that these teams and these small businesses across America rallying uh, with the help of technology solutions provided by um, many of you on this call and cloud providers more broadly. The same needs existed with the physical world that we saw with the virtual world in many ways and uh, physical store owners had this crisis moment where they were shutting down. And so they had to reinvent themselves. And this million business milestone was passed in March by Shopify, one of the leading storefront providers and a cloud vertical solution for e-commerce where they grew 400,000 storefronts between mid-March and mid-April because of small businesses, again, that had been only physical before and found that to survive and hopefully ultimately thrive, the cloud solutions were their way forward. And so we celebrate businesses like that. And of course, the platform we're on today uh, with Zoom that has really become a communications platform that's defining this COVID era. They're giving us the connectivity to communicate with our colleagues, friends, and family. They're facilitating virtual schooling. They're helping governments organize. They've helped with life's most important uh, and sacred moments, whether that's birthday celebrations, weddings, and uh, unfortunately, even in some cases, the last goodbyes. But it is really incredible and inspiring to see how these companies and these cloud leaders have ushered in this new phase of innovation and growth, even in the hardest moments of society. And what we see is this unlocking of cloud power, and we see this acceleration of the trends that we've known are building through the years, and it reinforces the growth of the industry. And if we look at that and step back, you can think of this, again, from the leading perspective of the public's first, which is, this evolution over time. Just 12 years ago, the entire market capitalization of the top five cloud companies was less than $14 billion. When you roll that forward just seven years, that was up 8x. You roll that forward just 12 years, it is up a staggering 61x. Just in the top five names, the growth has been spectacular. And if you think about the broader hybrid vendors, so the Amazons, Googles, and Microsofts that have cloud businesses that have been growing and building within, the same trends exist there. If you look at the IaaS vendors, they passed a $130 billion revenue milestone this year. We've all seen AWS and what they've done uh, with their platform. It is staggering. And even at spectacular scale, they're still growing at 30%. 
Azure has been gaining on them rapidly and is growing at double that rate, still has some market share to go, but is providing a fantastic offering that many of you benefit from. Google Cloud, Ali Cloud International, et cetera. The industry has just been going through this massive transformation and has been responsive to the market demands of COVID in ways that wouldn't be possible in a non-public cloud, non-scalable way that's allowing the continuity and the power in a modern format that wasn't before possible. But if you think of all these stats out there, there's one number that for me is most impressive. It's 94%. What this number means is across all industries, 94% of businesses today use at least one cloud solution. We are truly living in a cloud first world today where businesses not only understand, but they now embrace and are looking to lead with technology solutions from folks on the Zoom uh, who are cloud first and providing that next generation of solutions. And if you think of this in the context of software, it's particularly powerful because for years, we've been seeing the visionaries out there promoting this transition, but it takes a long time to build. The dark blue bar here is cloud as a percentage of worldwide software spend. And for, for years, it barely registered it as, as it was building. And what we've seen over the last several years is that compounding starting to develop. And if you roll forward and see what happens, if you go to 2032, out just a dozen years from now, how massively that transformation takes hold. And the 50% mark is going to cross within the next three years. And the vast majority of all software quickly will become cloud. And so if you think of this over this arc, and in fact, if you reinvent it in a, a circle chart or a pie chart, you can see visually how cloud is eating software. You've got this dynamic within the next couple of years where cloud becomes a majority, but it just rolls forward. And you get this almost eating effect. Uh, I think of it as, as Pac-Man in motion, where truly cloud is taking over um, the core of technology and all of software. And so if you think of this from a market size standpoint, there's often this debate, is that good or bad? Um, what happens when cloud has consumed software? What happens to growth? What is the potential? And this fantastic staggering growth that we've seen over the prior years, is that sustainable? Can it continue? And there's all sorts of implications for you out there founding new businesses. Is it too late for investors, public and private? Uh, have I missed my window or what is fair value? This is the chart that we think helps answer that, which is to zoom out. And think of not only cloud and its current market size, or not even just software in its current market size, which mind you is a multiple of that. So we have through that 2032 range, we show how the growth rates are certainly sustainable. And in fact, in some uh, industries will accelerate as you get this compounding building and you get this sea change effect as the industry realizes and embraces cloud. But you actually should zoom out another level. And you should think of this as the technology industry as a whole is really the addressable market by all of you. Because more and more, hardware is becoming soft, and it's the software within hardware that's powering uh, innovation and powering efficiency and powering growth. And really, cloud absorbs hardware, software, and services. And so as you see more opportunities for automation 
And as you see, more of the technology of the cloud and software percentage of technology reveal itself, it's really that $3.7 trillion market that's addressable. And as you think even more, both broadly in sector and in geography, the global GDP is increasingly becoming tech-based. And as you think about cloud, as hands down the most powerful force in all of software, and really now in all of technology, and we all know that technology is increasingly driving other um, industries and innovation across industries, we absolutely believe that a large percentage of global GDP will be cloud-driven and cloud-based in the years ahead. And so when asked specifically, how does this end or how does this play out? We absolutely believe we're still in the early days. And what has become obvious to those of us in the cloud community and what's starting to become more and more obvious to the world has a long and powerful future ahead. And that's gonna be the basis of the rest of this conversation. We're gonna talk you through a little bit of the learnings from these leaders and our experiences working with many of the innovators. And then we're gonna end with some predictions. And so with that, I'm gonna let my partner, El, uh, take it from here and guide you through some of the lessons learned and some of the 10 laws takeaways over the last many years of working with these leading companies. Thanks, Byron. So as Byron uh, walked everyone through, there's been a lot of change and evolution that's taken place in the cloud software market. And today, there's more than 140 private and public cloud companies that are worth more than a billion dollars, including a lot of companies that are speaking at Saster. Here at Bessemer, we've been really lucky to work with some of the best, as you can tell from my partner Byron's uh, Zoom background. But what we really like to do is try to share best practices amongst the many years of experience we've had working with cloud companies. And what we're gonna do today is highlight three of them. You know, we're all living through a really unique time with COVID, companies are working more remote first, everyone's trying to traverse the new landscape. And I think that these three uh, have really stood the test of time since we published the first 10 laws of cloud report more than a decade ago. So let's dive in. So law number one, uh, in the cloud economy scale wins. A bit of a personal note for me, uh, before coming to Bessemer, I was with a great fund uh, in Toronto, Canada called Georgian Partners. I'm a big fan of Canadian entrepreneurs, so shout out to any of you on the Zoom today. And one of the early co-investments um, with my prior firm in Bessemer was in Shopify. And one of the favorite quotes that I always had from Toby and really his philosophy was that, you know, reaching scale, it's not just about the revenue, it really is about finding a product that sets the pace of innovation and having this mentality that while you might be really excited about the product that you're, you're offering to the market today, you actually wanna render it obsolete so that your competitors can't just copy what you're doing. So, you know, we've had a lot of discussion about Zoom over the last few months, as Byron alluded to with everyone working at home. But if you just take a step back for any kind of market that we've had success with, with cloud software companies, the majority of the market, say 50, 60, sometimes 70%, goes to the scaled leader. Uh, in the unified communications and video conferencing space, Zoom has definitely taken a new position as the market leader. This number might have increased just in the past week, but it, it certainly sits somewhere around 64, 65%, where you're seeing companies like Skype, BlueJeans, uh, and WebEx kind of coming up just behind them. Another thing that we've seen over the last decade is, 
you know, cloud companies have this unique ability to scale way more rapidly uh, than they have in the past and many of their other tech market peers. So if you look at companies like Cornerstone On Demand, which we invested in a long time ago, it took them some time to get to 100 million of ARR. But if you look at new companies like a Shopify, a Twilio, a HashiCorp, they're able to get there even faster, somewhere around kind of four, five, six years. And that's something that we're seeing with all the cloud giants that are entering the market today. Leveraging on some of Toby's philosophy, it's something here that we, we call at Bessemer, finding your second act. So everyone kind of knows Shopify for uh, what it is today, but in the earlier days, it really was the, the best SaaS platform for SMB, e-commerce providers. And then they found somewhere in like year 2014 and 15 that they could, they could layer in something like payments as an additional way to monetize their customer base. We call that a second act. What that does is not only did it accelerate the top line revenue for Shopify, but it dramatically opened up their total addressable market on a revenue basis. So if you're a cloud founder sitting at home today and you've got a great value prop for your customer base and your market, you do want to think about, you know, maybe 12 months, 18 months from now, what's that next thing uh, that I could layer into the market, not just for expansion in your base, but upsell as well and, and you know, more of a new platform uh, value prop you could take to the market. Uh, Byron gave a great example with Toast, uh, one of my favorite portfolio companies. They started in the point of sale market and then as the company scaled, they rolled out new value props and modules for payroll or Toast Capital or ways to manage your, your employee base. With Twilio, for example, they expanded into email. And you can also find your second act uh, inorganically via acquisition as Twilio did uh, with Singrid. And then in HashiCorp's case, one of the most exciting uh, cloud infrastructure software companies that we found, you know, they've expanded their second act with uh, Terraform in the provisioning space and then console in the networking space. Law number three, this is huge, particularly in COVID. So we're gonna talk about this a little bit differently. You know, everyone is trying to figure out the go-to-market learning curve. Now, what, you know, we haven't really seen over a, a lot of time or we couldn't have predicted was everyone's sales force is basically working from home. So, you know, if you're a founder today and you're trying to scale your go-to-market org, in the early days, you're in what we call the initiation phase. This is really founder-led sales. You're wearing multiple hats. You're probably the head of sales, head of content marketing, also head of inside sales. But what you really want to do is as you're finding your first sales leaders to bring into the org, we typically call them renaissance salespeople. So they have this unique ability to evangelize your product in the market, learn from your early customers what they like, what they don't like, bring that feedback loop into product, into marketing, uh, and really start to make that flywheel work. And you really don't want to think about bringing in new salespeople until you're seeing that first round of product market fit, and then you're ready to go into the transition phase. So this is when you're actually building out your org. You might be thinking about BDRs, some ISRs, some field sales reps, and you as a founder can take off one of your hats and maybe move into more uh, strategic sales with your biggest and most valued customers. Here, what you really wanna think about is testing out two or three reps, seeing how they work, uh, see if their, their quotas are about right, are they hitting their numbers, are customers happy with what they're seeing? You don't really wanna scale beyond that first batch of reps 
you know, a general rule of thumb is about two to three times their fully loaded costs before you start rolling them in. Again, you know, this is supposed to be our COVID con considerations version of this report. And everyone is kind of an inside sales rep today. So the one thing that we like to talk about is CAC payback. That's really, you know, analyzing a period back, how much does it cost to acquire uh, a customer? So that's your CAC. If you divide that by the gross margin, how many customers you get in a period forward, you can start to figure out against your churn, how many months gross margin affected does it take for you to turn that newly acquired customer into a profitable customer? Why does that matter even more in COVID? Well, there's just more uncertainty. We don't really know how long it's gonna be before people are back in the field, flying on planes regularly where you can touch and feel your customers. So your churn might be a little more uh, volatile in this period. So actually tracking your CAC, calculating it, gross margin affecting it, and figuring out what your CAC payback is on a monthly basis is even more important. So after you figure out how your go-to-market org is going to scale potentially, you know, you see success, you're adding field sales reps, you might be going more geo-focused, more industry vertical focused. Now you're in the execution phase. This for us means, you know, typically you're finding some sales folks that may or may not be a little more coin operated. So less of that renaissance rep that's really evangelizing. They're always going to be great shepherds and voice and face of your company. But these folks, you want to give them a, a territory, a good list of customers. Maybe they even have their own book of business and you let them go. And then the one thing that you always want to think about is nail it before you scale it. You know, make sure in the initiation phase you feel comfortable with the results before you move into the transition phase. And that's the same thing with the execution phase. And then my favorite personal law, number nine, tone starts at the top. So what's really interesting about this, we talked about it and we updated the report before COVID. And, you know, oftentimes people say, uh, you know, things like culture and values and how we track that stuff internally. How important is it? Well, I'll tell you one thing, portfolio companies of ours and, and founder friends of mine who now have their entire employee base working remotely or, or from home, now this really matters. Um, you as a founder have to set the tone and you can't do it, you know, in a weekly standup or in an all hands meeting in person. You got to do it remote. So we have this framework that we typically talk to our portfolio company founders about, you know, it starts with defining your culture and values early really understanding and letting your, your early employees understand why do we work here? What are we really trying to accomplish? And it also allows your early employees to find that values fit with you, uh, your philosophy and where your company is going. Um, number two, we, we really want companies to report and track these metrics early. If you can't measure it, you can't really change it. You're just kind of putting your, your finger in the air and doing a gut check. And then number three, 360 feedbacks. Our advice is you can't really do these too early. It's how we all get better. And as a investor and, and board member, one of my favorite things is doing 360 feedback for the founder CEO, you know, talking to the board members, talking to uh, their direct reports and giving a unique set of uh, feedback to that founder. Beyond that, you know, there's some great software, cloud software <laughs> options you can use. Uh, both Glint and CultureAmp are great solutions that many of our companies use. And then just a personal note, we're living through a really interesting time here in, in our country and in tech. Statistically, I don't look like your average venture capitalist, but I really do care about diversity and inclusion. Um, it's not just something good to do. It's actually a great uh, business strategy uh, and competitive advantage. 
you know, this is just a, a little bit of a shout out to one of my favorite companies. Um, it just so happens they're a Bessemer company, but that doesn't matter. Edith at Launch Darkly, you know, they put their culture and values very publicly on their website, very prominently. They've got some incredible initiatives, particularly in the engineering and coding org, about how to make diversity inclusion a strategic advantage for them. Very well said. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you all in person uh, at the next Saster Annual uh, next year. And until then, stay well, stay sane, and stay cloudy. Linode's Linux Virtual Machines offer industry-leading price performance. Don't believe us? Use our Total Cost of Ownership Calculator to receive a total cost breakdown, technical recommendations, and see how much you can save compared to the hyperscalers. Visit linode.com saster to learn more.